you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you who are here with us in person. It's good to know that there are many of you joining us online as well. So however you're joining us today, uh, in person, online, maybe you're listening to the podcast later or watching the video at a later time, welcome. Know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. We're so glad to be able to spend this morning with you today. If we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I love an opportunity to meet you after the service. And we are closing, as Thomas mentioned in the video, we are closing out our series called Life on Mission uh, that is going to, it's been through the book of Acts, not, not verse by verse, but we've been looking at five different um, spiritual practices and things we could do to engage in the mission that God has for each and every one of us. And so, before we unpack uh, where we're going today and, and where we've been, I'm going to ask that uh, you join me in a word of prayer. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. If you'll join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to see what God has for us as we enter into his word together. Father, I thank you so much for um, who you are. Thank you that your mercies are new this morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you that this is a day we, you have made. We rejoice and are glad in it. Thank you that we get to join the course of uh, Christians all across the world who are praising you today. Thank you for your word that is living and active, that we could dive into it, God. And as we do so, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for who you are, for your love for us. And may we receive what you have to share with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we're being Acts 17. As we've been going through this series, Life on Mission, we've been looking at four practices already. The idea of gathering purposefully, connecting deeply, giving generously, serving selflessly, and then today we're talking about influence daily. The importance for us to recognize the influence we have all throughout our lives and every single day of our lives. Now, uh, this past week, um, Elise um, got a cold, so we tested it's not COVID and we're all healthy, so to be clear off the bat, but it's a reminder that as things are opening up a little bit, as, you know, things are changing, like we're getting sick again, like just normal sick is happening again, and it wasn't bad, it was for a few days, but the, during the beginning part of the pandemic, when we were, you know, staying at home, it's, it's, we didn't get sick very often. It was actually one of the healthier years for our specific family because they weren't around and getting exposed. Why am I bringing this up? The word, when we talk about if you get a, a flu, right, do we, do we know what the word flu is actually short for? Do we know what that is? Influenza. Influenza. Does anybody notice an etymological, that was my word of the day, so I got it uh, done out of the way. No. Does anybody notice a difference, or excuse me, a similarity between the etymology, the, the background of the word, the formation of a word between influenza and influence? Notice the connection here that they come from Latin words that mean in and flow. So flu is flow. And the idea was until the 1700s, influenza was just the word for influence, but then it became uh, the name in Italy they called, there was a pandemic there, an epidemic, excuse me, an epidemic there, that then it just kind of became the name influenza or the flu. And so here's the idea is that influence that we have can be 
positive or negative. Whatever we're spreading, whatever we're sharing can be positive or negative. There could be things that we spread that we say we, we're taught one thing, but then what we caught, what we understood was something different. There's things that we pass along that we don't want to pass along. And our hope is that we can pass along the things that we do. To give an example of this, uh, in 1954 on the New York Post cover, there was um, an illustration by Richard Sargent, and it's called Anger Transference. You'll see it on the screen here. And it's a cartoon that paints the picture of what we experience in life sometimes. The idea that in the upper left-hand corner, we see a boss yelling at his employee. And then that same employee goes home and yells at his wife. His wife, she gets so upset and she transfers that anger. She yells at her son. And then the son gets so mad, he yells at the cat. And I know it's kind of a little humorous about the, you know, yelling at the cat, but we zoomed in on the photo. Look how sad that cat is about being yelled at. Like that cat is, that cat doesn't know what happened. And that cat probably looked for a mouse to consume is what I'm thinking here. But just so sad, like why? It's, a, it's something we experience in life. When we have, so when someone's, uh, when we have a bad day at work, do we often take it out on our bosses or our coworkers? No, we often take it out on our families. And then where does that anger go? Or where, when they receive that, where does that go? It goes to someone else and it passes along. And what we end up catching or spreading, excuse me, and what they catch from us is not the positive influence you want to have. It's spreading in this case, anger. When I get uh, hurt, like if I stub my toe or like, um, I have this weird way of walking, which whatever. When I walk, I kind of just like kick my feet out sometimes, like for whatever reason. So I stub my toe more often than I would like to admit. And I think it's just because I've never learned how to walk properly. But what ends up happening is whenever I stub my toe, I'll just go, ugh. Like I get angry. Like I'm not, I don't cry when I get hurt, unless if it's really bad. But I get mad as if like, I should not have had to deal with the fact that I'm hurt now, right? Like I just get angry about it. And I remember when Shaylin was 18 months old and she like stubbed her toe or she did something really small like that. And I just, I'm in the other room and I just hear her go, Arr! I'm like, oh no, I'm spreading my way of getting frustrated to my daughter. Why? Because we influence people without knowing that we're influencing them. We spread things without us knowing. And again, not talking about germs here, but we spread things, we pass things along even when we're not fully aware of it. And so that's the negative idea of influenza, of spreading something that could be contagious in a negative way. But what would it look like if we caught hold of how God called us to influence positively those around us all the time? That C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. He talks about the idea that if, I, if I'm physically healthy, and I'm in a room full of, physically, of people who are physically ill, who have the flu or who have an illness. If I go in there and I show up into this room, what's more likely to happen? That I would get sick from their sickness or that they would get healthy from my health? What would more likely happen is that I would get sick from their sickness, right? And that's, that's what's common. Here's what C.S. Lewis paints the picture of is that through Jesus, he says, Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what C.S. Lewis calls good infection. So instead of spreading anger or spreading negativity or spreading difficulty, it's what would it look like if God's people lived such the life that God has called that what they are spreading 
is the hope that we have in Jesus, the good news, the gospel, the life and life to the full that comes in a right relationship with Jesus. He continues on C.S. Lewis a couple pages later. He says, and Jesus transmits this new life. Again, spreading, transmitting. These are words we've heard far too often in the past couple of years. But, and Jesus transmits this new life, not by heredity, right? It's not like hair color or eye color or height, but by what I have called good infection. Everyone who gets it, gets it by personal contact with him. Other men become new by being in him. In other words, in a world that is sick with sin, all of us are sinful. We've all fallen short. We all are unable to be righteous before God on our own. And Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, fully healthy, he came into the world surrounded by sick people and he did not get sick. He showed us the way to be made well. He influenced us and spread hope and purpose and life and joy and love in a world that often spreads hatred and division and discord and anger and heartache. Which way and how will we influence those around us daily? Whether negatively or positively, what we learn on our main point today is that our daily influence has eternal impact. Our daily influence has eternal impact. It could seem like a small thing that I'm like, I stub my tongue and go, ugh, and my daughter goes, ugh. But if anger and dissatisfaction, that gets passed on generation to generation, well then that can impact lives of people and of, of, of um, not ancestors, the opposite of descendants that I will never meet. But if we're not careful, if we don't acknowledge how the influence we have, we can have a negative and spread negativity or we can spread the hope of the gospel. Because we know that the sins of three to four generations are impacted by those, but the Lord honors those for a thousand generations for those who love him and live according to his commands. What kind of influence do we want to have? And how do we influence daily? We're going to look at Acts chapter 17, looking at the story of Paul as he enters into Athens. So we're going to be Acts 17, starting in verse 16. And to kind of catch you up, last week we ended in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is when Stephen and the other seven were called to help with the widows that were in um, Jerusalem, the ones that were the Hellenistic Jewish widows, the ones who were from a Greek-speaking background, because they weren't getting fed the way that the Hebraic Jews were, the ones who spoke Aramaic and had a Hebrew background. So the, 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 the apostles say, it's not right for us to neglect the, praying and the ministry, prayer and the ministry of the word by serving tables, but it's valuable. So here are seven men who can do this. Right after that, Stephen gets arrested. He shares his powerful testimony and he's martyred in Acts chapter 7. And then by Acts chapter 8, because of that martyrdom and because of the persecution, the gospel starts to spread beyond Jerusalem. That Jesus' words in, John, in Acts 1.8, when it talks about how you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth start to come to fruition. In Acts 8, Philip becomes a missionary to Samaria, and it starts to spread from there. 
Paul ends up being called in Acts 9. He's called and he has conversion. And God called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish speaking people. And so he, uh, the non-Jewish people. So he would go and now he's gone to different missionary journeys. And now in Acts 17, he's entering into Athens. And in Acts 17, we see different steps that he does just in these few verses of how he wants to have a daily influence, recognizing that our daily influence has eternal impact. The first thing that we see is for us to have the same mindset as he does, which is to be a missionary in your world. Be a missionary in your world, wherever you are, to be a missionary with a missionary mindset. To recognize that God has put you in your classrooms. God has put you in your neighborhoods. God has put you in your workplaces. God has put you in your city, in your work. Like God has a place for you and a passion and a mission for you to fulfill that I can't fulfill for you. You are the ones who are called to do this. What does it mean to have a missionary mindset in your world? Here's what we begin in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. Those two verses will be on the screen with a couple of highlights. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. We'll stop there for a moment because as he enters into Athens, he's waiting for others to come, but he gets there knowing that they're going to start ministry, but he cannot wait to start. And not even like it can't wait, like, oh, I'm so excited, I can't wait. It's this idea that he was greatly distressed and distressed, um, not necessarily in the I'm so overwhelmed and I can't handle it to the fact that I'm just going to hide and it's, it's just too much to bear. This word for the word distress also is this idea of like being provoked. Like it's like a needling. It's this idea of he could not let it stand. That this city filled with idols would fail to see the one true God. That passion that was burning in him was so strong. He didn't even wait for his ministry partners to show up. He just started preaching. See, Athens, Epimenides was a, was a man who in 600 BC, he came to Athens. And what he said was that there were, it would be easier to run into idols or to run into false gods or statue of false gods. It would be easier to run into gods and goddesses than it would to run into a person in Athens. That there were 10,000 people in Athens and that the, and at one time there were 30,000 different gods and goddesses that had statues. In other words, they were a community that talked about philosophy and talked about religion and were intellectually and, and literary. They're, they're just so strong in that time. And so they didn't want to offend anybody, so they would have all the different gods and they would worship all of them at once. And this distressed him because he said, this is a group of people who are searching for the divine and they're looking in all the wrong places and they're bowing down to all the wrong gods. It distressed him. Do we have that same passion for where God has called us to be missionaries, for our homes and our classes and our schools and our workplaces and our neighborhoods? In 2011, I went uh, on a missions trip. And when you're on a missions trip, uh, some of you have experienced this. You, you, you just, there's this, a moment of time where you're like, okay, 
I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm on a mission trip. I'm able to go and do these great things. And for this amount of time, I'm just going to be so present. I'm going to be so aware. In fact, in 2011, the picture I have here is of our team when we went to Zimbabwe. And we went to Victoria Falls, which was just beautiful and amazing. And it was just this incredible time. Um, we were able to serve in different areas, find out what the churches were doing in the, in the Mondoro village. We were able to... Um, uh, uh, commemorate a, a well that was there. So we had a lot of cool things that we were able to do and to be a part of. But when you're there, you just, you have a different mindset. You, your brain changes how you engage with people. In fact, we see it here that um, uh, in the quote that we experience here, it says this, in my experience, many Missionaries, even volunteers on short-term ministry trips, tend to consciously approach every moment in relation to mission. But and then he starts to go, this is Elliot Clark in his book, Evangelism as Exiles. And he starts saying, they, they're really conscious of how they spend their money. They're really conscious of how they speak to people, even, and they show honor and respect to people who are very different. They really are conscious of how they dress. They're very conscious of everything. And they see that every conversation they have is a conversation that was God-ordained, that was designed a divine appointment for them to meet and to speak with someone. So he explains all this, and then he, he lands a blow that can be hard for many of us here at home. He says, but, but somehow, when we're in our home country and going about our daily lives, we often lack that self-awareness and mission focus. We slip into routines we lose intentionality. We have a mindset that we just want to live a certain way when we're on mission trip. Uh, Janae, one of our team members, she mentioned that uh, we, we had this thing where I gave rocks to everybody and had them write down something they would want to remember from this trip. And what she had shared was that she wanted to remember to love people at home the same way that she loved everyone she met for those two weeks in Zimbabwe. It's, I, we have a mindset, we're going in and we're gonna love people, and it's gonna be amazing. And we say, and my shelf life for that is about two weeks. And we don't admit to that. But when we come back to our daily lives, we lose self-awareness, we lose mission focus, we get caught up in our schedules, we get caught up in our routines, we lose our intentionality. So then all of a sudden, we're missing the mission God has for us. And the influence we are having is not the one we want to have. So in addition to this idea of living as a missionary in your world, the next thing is to debate without dividing. Debate without dividing. Here's what we see in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So go to the next slide, please. We have, so he reasoned is the emphasis on that one. This word in the Greek is, is the word for argue. But when we think of argue, we think of I'm on my end, you're on your end, and if we have a different opinion, I'm clearly right and you're clearly wrong. And therefore, we don't, have a conversation and reason together. We argue our side. We don't always listen to learn from the other side. And then it creates where once was a bridge now becomes a wall. 
And this could come for all different sorts of things. It can go for, yes, sports teams. It could go for movies you like or music that you like. You can say, how can you not like this? And how can you not like that? Whatever it is. But what ends up happening is instead of a conversation, which is a a debate that can respect both sides, at least listen to both sides and care about the people from both sides, it becomes us just defending ourselves. That this is like speech and debate. Where Anyone here do speech and debate when you were younger? Awesome. We have a couple here. Speech and debate, you, you know, there's two different positions on a debate. You have one or the other. You don't even need to necessarily agree or believe the one that you have, but you've been tasked to be pro this or con that against that, and you study and you present your presentation. The problem is that we have a lot of division because we don't know how to have a conversation with people different than us. And that's not just us as the church, that's just the culture at large thinks that if someone has a different opinion, not only are they wrong, they're less than, they're other, they're outcasts. And so, let me be clear. Am I saying that when it comes to conversations of faith, that there's no right or wrong? Unequivocally, Jesus is the only way the only truth, the only life, that we only can come to the Father through him. So I'm not saying we water down the gospel. I'm just saying that we speak truth in love. That as Jim Van Iperen says in his book, Making Peace, truth without love is not really truth. And love without truth is not really love. In other words, truth without love behind it isn't the full encapsulation of truth. It's not that loving. And so you could say a true thing, but if you don't say it with love, it's a harsh thing that doesn't paint the full picture. Conversely, love without truth is not really love. If you say, oh no, everything's fine, but you don't speak truth into someone's life, then you're not actually loving them if you're afraid to say the hard thing in love. You can have a false peace not a true peace. So to debate without dividing, it's Paul was never going to back down on the gospel. He wasn't going to say, oh, that's a good point. My position would be that when we know the truth and the truth has set us free, having a conversation with someone who believes something differently, they're not going to be able to say anything that changes how God has changed my life. They're not going to be able to give an argument that's so clear that I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to unbelieve what is. Why? Because I believe that if, because Jesus is the truth, if we are pursuing truth, we will find him at the end of that road. Because he is the truth. But what I am saying is that we dialogue with people. We can debate. We can have conversations. We don't have to agree with everybody. And we won't agree with everybody. But we are called to love everybody. And to pray for those who persecute us. And to do well to those who harm us. And to turn the other cheek and to speak the truth in love. So we don't want to just attack people with our ways of evangelizing. Just saying, you're wrong. Speak truth without love behind it. Brennan Manning puts it this way. To evangelize a person is to say to him or her, you too are loved by God in the Lord Jesus. And not only to say it, but to really think it and relate it to that man or woman so they can sense it. This is what it means to announce the good news. 
But that becomes possible only by, go ahead and go to the next slide, please. That becomes possible only by offering the person your friendship, a friendship that is real, unselfish, without condensation, full of confidence, and profound esteem. In other words, it's building the relationship to be able to speak the truth in love does not mean we water down the truth, and it doesn't mean we swing so far in the other pendulum to only speak love without truth. It's knowing that speaking the truth in love is this beautiful combination that brings real life change rather than false peace around us. So we live as a missionary in our world. We debate without dividing. We have conversations without burning the bridges between us. And then we talk about Jesus all seven days of the week. We talk about Jesus all seven days of the week. That same, those same verses we looked at, I'm going to mention the highlight in verse 17. He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Here's what Paul would do when he enters into a new city. He would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which was Friday evening to Saturday evening. And he knew that that would be where the Jewish people or God-fearing Greeks who were following the Lord would come and they would meet at the Sabbath, or excuse me, on the Sabbath at the temple or the synagogue. So he would go and he would reason with them. He would explain you in your scriptures, in the, in the Old Testament or the Tanakh, the Hebrew scripture, you talk about the Messiah. Let me explain to you how Jesus is the Messiah. Let me explain, using the passages from the Hebrew scriptures, how Jesus came to fulfill that. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. The one for whom you are looking has arrived. Would you like to know him? He would do this on the Sabbath. But that's not the extent of his time of sharing with God, about God. As it says, he would then go to the marketplace day by day. And he would interact with the people who were there. As going about his day in his classes, he would share about the hope of the gospel. Going into work and hearing how people are doing, he would share the gospel. Going and going to the store and when someone asks, you know, how are you doing? And being able to say, no, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? You ever gone to a restaurant and say, hey, we're about to pray for our meal to your server and say, is there any way we could pray for you? I met with someone before at lunch and he says, how are you doing? And the guy, the guy working at the counter is like, oh, I'm good. How are you doing? He's like, well, since you asked, I'm blessed. I have a wife who loves me. I have a wonderful family and I have a God, I have a savior who gave his life for me. Now, do we all do that all the time? No. But could we potentially share about God day by day, all seven days of the week? Or do we fall into the trap that many of us can do when we lose our mission focus and lose our intentionality where we think that coming to church on a Sunday is the be-all, end-all of following Christ? Is the only time we encourage and share the good news with someone when we're here on a Sunday morning or we're watching online? Or... Are we living our lives so full of the mission of God that we reach out to those far from him? Brennan Manning in another quotation says, the single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and go out and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's recognizing that how we live each and every day and talk about Jesus and live and close to Jesus and 
Let that be what we're spreading is the hope of Jesus every day of the week. And yes, we get filled up. Is, being, is gathering purposefully important? Of course it is. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Is being part of the corporate body necessary for a relationship with God? Yes, we talked about that and connecting deeply. But that can't be all of it because we're changed by God to change the world. As Genesis 12 says, we've been, or Abram was blessed to be a blessing. We have received and we've been influenced by God to influence those around us. The next step that Paul does that we see here is that he learns about the culture around him. He learns about it. He, he wants to find out what is it about Athens? Who are the Athenians? What is it that they believe? How can I potentially reach them? And so before we look into the passage, we're going to, he goes and he's sharing verses 18 through 22. He's sharing the gospel in the marketplace. And there's some Epicureans and there's some Stoics who are asking questions and saying, what you're saying is, is interesting. I, I want, we would like to hear more about this subject. One of them calls him a babbler, which is just like, it's the idea of like someone who literally their words don't make sense to them. And so he's sharing about the gospel, but they don't get it. They're like, we think he's advocating for new gods. What happens if you try to advocate for a new god in the city of Athens is that they bring you to a place called Mars Hill, or in the Greek, it's called the Areopagus. And the Areopagus is a place where the leaders of the city would talk about philosophy, they talk about religion, they would be surrounded by idols around them, and so they would have the discussion because you needed permission to describe a new god or a new belief system. They wanted to make sure that they weren't leaving anyone out and so they wanted to invite Paul to share more about him. But he had to learn, he had to find the in to be able to share. Now what I'm gonna do is a, an illustration I'm gonna need all of your help with. Um, there's something called the curse of knowledge. And those of you who are wise, like I know, trust me, I've lived with it my whole life. No, but it's the curse of knowledge is, is, a, is a psychological thing that I wanna um, try for us real quick. There was a test being done and I'm gonna try it here for those of you in person and online to be able to share in the chat. I'm gonna use my knuckles and to, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna pound on the table and it's gonna be to a song and I want to see how many of you get it, okay? So don't, like if you get it right away, don't say anything, wait until we're done and then I will ask to see how many people got it. So here's the first song. Go ahead and listen, and we should be able to hear online as well. Ready? The song we've all heard, we've all sung before. How many of you got it? What was it? Someone yell it out loud. Happy birthday. Very good. Those of you who didn't get it, can you hear it now? Happy birthday to you. Okay. Cool. We're going to do another one, all right? You're doing well. We warmed up with a very easy one. This also is one that you've all sung. I guarantee it. Let's see if we can hear it the second time. Raise your hands. Who got it? What was it? ABCs. Did anyone think of anything other than the ABCs? Jesus loves me. Very good. Um, here's a fun little side note. This is free of charge. You didn't have to pay for this today. 
ABCs and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and Baba Black Sheep, all from the same Mozart melody. So that was a trick question. You guys did great. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to do one more, but then I'm going to stop because my knuckles hurt. And so we're going to do one more. Uh, this one might be geared, uh, it's, a, it's a song that maybe uh, the younger congregation members may recognize a little bit sooner than the others. Uh, don't take that personally if you don't. It's not a, I'm just saying they may be more, more aware of it. Ready? Here we go. Anyone? We don't talk about Bruno. Very good. Very good. All right. So let me explain to you the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge tells us this, that Stanford University did this test a few decades ago. They would have a, no a knocker knocking a song out just like that, and they would have a listener. And here's what happened. The knocker, the one who's knocking, 50% of the time was pretty sure that the listener was going to get it. They're like, okay, yeah, like this is, we're, we're good. This is going to make sense. But you'll see in this chart, the listener got it right, not 50% of the time, not 40, not 30, not 20, not 10, but two and a half percent times they actually got the song correctly. So you all did very, very well. Now, why is that? Not everybody's a drummer. Uh, true, but not true. Um, because I'm a just as much of a drummer, but now I'm just a... I was going to say knucklehead. That sounds mean, but now I'm doing that. Um, it's because the person who's doing the knocking is singing it in their head. So as I'm singing it, I'm like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Right? And you're just thinking, these are a bunch of sounds, and i got to figure out, out of all the songs I've ever heard in all my life, which one is it? Right? So in my mind, I'm like, how can you not get it? Because I'm singing this song in my head. I know what it is. And I think, how can you not get this song? We have to take the time to acknowledge that for those of us who know and love Jesus, many of us have been singing songs of praise to him since we were little. Others of us started to follow Jesus later in life. Some of us are just starting to learn the beauty of the gospel song. And we have it in our heads. And the way we view our culture is we think, how can you not get how much Jesus loves you? How can you not get that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? How can you not get the fact that if we, we've all fallen short and we need a savior? It's the curse of knowledge because the one who presents it becomes so familiar with it that we can't even understand how someone would not know it. And if we're in the church, or if we're not around people who are far from God, or if we're not on a mission, living our lives daily, remembering that our daily influence has eternal impact, we may fall into the curse of the knowledge, and we're knocking, and no one's listening, because they don't hear the song we're singing in our heads. We're singing, Jesus loves me, and they're thinking we're still talking about Baba ba, Black Sheep. They can miss the point. So what is... Paul do? He learns about the culture. We're going to jump in in verse 22. 
uh, 22 says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, he says this. He learned, and as you're entering to Athens, you would see statues of idols and gods. And as he's walking away, looking at the culture, learning from them, hearing the fact that you see more gods than you see people, and acknowledging that, he says, he sees one that there's an altar that says, to an unknown god. Where does that come from? Remember Epimenides, the one I mentioned that came six centuries earlier than Paul? You said, no, that's okay. Epimenides came and there was a plague that was going on in Athens at the time, 600 BC. During this plague, there were, people were dying and they couldn't, they're trying to sacrifice to all the different gods and none of the other gods were able to, to stop this plague from happening. So they say, we need a learned man, a wise man, or, uh, someone who understands the things of the divine to help us through this. They go and they find Epimenides from Crete. They bring him over and he goes to the Mars Hill, to the Areopagus, that same area, and he says, we're going to bring all these sheep here, black and white sheep, and they're going to spread out. And wherever a sheep sits down on this open field, then we're going to build an altar to an unknown God, and we're going to sacrifice that sheep there. The idea being that we must have offended some God that we don't even know yet. They go, and as the story goes, they sacrifice the sheep, the plague stops, and they have altar that says, to an unknown God. They didn't know who it was, but they knew that this God stopped the plague. Paul learns about this culture. You know how we know that Paul knows the story of Epimenides? That in verse um, 28, as he's sharing the gospel, he closes with this. Um, I'll start in verse 27, actually. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far away from any one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Verse 28 was a quote, for we, in him we live and move and have our being. A quote from Epimenides. Someone that he had learned enough about the culture, saw the way that he could have an open door. And then as we see in our last point, he, you look for open doors to share the gospel and you walk right through them. You look for those open doors. You look for ways to say, okay, there's an unknown God. Let's explain this. So we continue on in the passage. We're going to, well, we're going to go back to verses 22 and 23. Let's actually skip to uh, verse 23. Uh, let's, let's go to the two slides from here. And it says, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He says, that unknown God, I'm not introducing to you a new God. I'm making known the God who's already been at work in your city. I'm acknowledging that the God who rescued you by the blood of a lamb, 600 years earlier, can rescue you from with the blood of the lamb from your sin. So it is kind of Jesus loves me and Baba Black Sheep. But he says this, I'm going to explain it to you. Paul 
in James Emery Wright's book called uh, Meet Gen Z, about how to reach Generation Z and the, and the next generation coming up, how to reach them for the faith. He says, go ahead and go back to the, the next one. Paul knew he wasn't in Jerusalem anymore. See, Peter in Acts 2, when he was in Jerusalem, he just preached the gospel. He gave the history of God working the Old Testament. They were cut to the heart. They realized that Jesus was the Messiah. They got cut to the heart. They wanted to be baptized. 3,000 were added to their number. We hear the Acts 2 method of evangelism and we think we got to just bring everybody together and we just got to, we just got to preach at them. But he had to find, in the quote, he had to find a new way to connect with the culture and the people in it. So he surveyed the cultural landscape and found a touchstone, an altar to an unknown God. The culture was so, so pluralistic that the only thing people could agree on was that you couldn't know anything for sure. Does that sound familiar? What if I could tell you that God's name? Would that be of interest to you? That's how Paul starts this conversation. It's a different culture, a different approach. At the end of his speech, a few believed, a few still thought he was crazy, but there were some that followed, became followers of Paul and believed. It may not be the same kind of mass evangelism that we see in Acts 2, but it's influencing people enough to have an open door and then speaking boldly enough when the opportunity arises. So we're going to close because we, I've been reading, um, uh, Jesus Freaks, the Voices of the Martyrs put out um, a book with DC Talk that talked about different martyrs throughout all of Christendom. And so uh, the first uh, example, excuse me, the first edition uh, ended a little bit and then they came out with a newer edition that had stories as recently as three years ago. And so this story that we see here that we're going to read a couple of quotes from is the story that comes from China with the churches that are underground in China. Why are they underground? Well, because there's a state-affirmed church that you can be a part of, the Three Self-Patriotic Movement. In order to be part of the TSPM church, you would have to register. You'd be able to speak about the Bible, but you'd also have to sing the Chinese anthem. You'd have to be able to have a picture of the leader inside the church service. And so you were restricted by the government what you're able to share. And so underground churches come. And they say, we're not going to bow down to another idol. We're not going to do that. So instead, they're preaching in these underground churches. But some of them start to get arrested. 2018, 2019, we see this quote that comes from some of them. It says this, rather than be silenced, though, rather than be silenced, though, excuse me, arrested church members were instructed to use interrogations as opportunities to openly share the gospel. Continues on. It says this, by the grace and help of the Lord, try to turn the interrogation process into a process of evangelism, read one church's online post. Quote, try to turn the interrogation room into a new meeting of the church. It's like Paul being able to share and make Mars Hill, the Areopagus, a new meeting of the church. That his process of sharing became a process of evangelism. And so we could hear that. We say, yeah, but you know, we're not in China or we're not in a place where we're experiencing this same kind of thing. We're not, we're not, this isn't us. So how do we not just get discouraged or think, oh, that's just for people out there. How do we think of ways that we can influence people daily here? It's a story of one of our church members who worked at an office and 
didn't necessarily talk about Jesus every once in a while, would share that maybe praying for someone or being able to just mention going to church or being part of a church. And at the end of her time working at this place, she, you know, I was here for a reason. I'm not sure why. And then gets a Facebook message years later from one of her coworkers saying that you had an impact on my life and I knew you were a Christian and now I understand what it means I've given my life to the Lord. It's a story of one of our church members who goes and he works and he doesn't work in a typical office setting. He drives around a lot and he meets a bunch of different people. But what he does is he has a devotional Bible that's out so people can see and ask, well, what's that about? And they can read passages together. It's the one who has a little, he gives out this um, in and out like antenna topper for a car. And the idea is like, hey, people love in and out. It's California and they come to visit here and I'll give it to them. But it also has John three sixteen written on the bottom as a way to just share, hey, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That he would say, hey, what's, your, what's some of your favorite songs? And he would make a CD that would have some of that person's favorite songs. And then he would add a few songs at the end that share the gospel. It's going about your daily life, just influencing people and spreading hope and love rather than anger or any of those negative things. It's a story of a couple at our church that they lived um, in a home in Northern Escondido and uh, they would, every sudden, they would have a neighbor who would walk their dog around. And as the neighbor would walk the dog, they would have conversations, maybe while the wife was gardening or out front. And then they would have, you know, just conversations and talk about things. But it wasn't like these really deep theological questions and conversations. But whenever there was any opportunity, you know, she could share a little bit. That her and her husband were going to move to another place in Escondido. But before they left, the neighbor says, you know, can I talk to you? And said that, you know, you impacted my life because every Sunday morning when I would walk my dog... I saw that your car was gone out of the driveway and I knew that you were at church and I knew that was important to you. And the neighbor ends up sharing about some health problems that that he has and just talked about how, you know, you influence my life and, and when I have faith in God, then he's helping carry me through these health issues and this pain I'm experiencing. Someone who was a light in their office place Someone who influenced daily while driving around. Someone who influenced daily in their neighborhood. None of them got thousands of people together to preach a big message. What they did do is they realized that their daily influence has eternal impact. And every day they looked for ways to share the gospel. Or to live in such a way that people would truly know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved even when they are far from God. Here's what that final PCC member, the one who was a neighbor, here's what she wrote to me in an email describing the story. And I think it's a good point for us to end today. She talked about growing up and being baptized as a baby and growing up in the faith and hearing, going to church and hearing some of these things. But here's what she would say. She said, we vaguely knew about the missions to convert people in other countries, but that was done by the leaders and persons ordained. As a congregation, we were never taught that each one of us has a role in bringing others to Christ. In other words, we can think, oh, it's pastor's jobs to reach people. It's pastor's jobs to reach my friend. I'll bring them to church and then the pastor better do a good job that day. 
the laugh was a little too real. That's okay. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It's recognized that we are the ones that God, you are the ones that God has put into your spheres of influence. I won't be in the same classrooms as those of you who are students. I won't be in the same workplace. I won't be in your neighborhoods. I won't be in your family and extended family. That's not my role. That's your job to influence daily. To remember that we can either spread anger and spread things like an influenza or we could be an influence that in impacts eternity. And like the people of Mars Hill could not leave saying we never heard about the gospel. They did now. And like us here, we cannot leave like that church member before saying, I never heard that there's an impact I'm supposed to have because you all are missionaries. You all are called by God. You were all changed by God to change the world. And God has you here for a reason because there are people only you can reach. And when we influence daily and have an eternal impact, we'll be able to see people in heaven that we never knew we impacted, but we'll be able to rejoice and celebrate with them. Remember, what's one of the only things we can't do in heaven? Reach people who don't know Jesus. Because everyone there will already know. So if we're here now, let's go and share the gospel with those around us. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for... Um, God, the fact that each person here is deeply loved by you. I pray, Lord, that if there's any spirit or any sense of uh, burden or negativity or overbearing or anything like that, Lord, may you release that now so that what we, when we have this time of processing this message, that, Lord, we would not be burdened with the fact that we're not sharing enough or doing enough. God, may we remember that your power and the Holy Spirit is enough. May we just be in tune to influence those around us. So God, may you meet us here. May you work in us and through us so that we can be lights for you wherever we go and that we could know that we're changed by you to change this world. We are blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.